Hey everyone, welcome back to Nita Conversations with Ryan and Victoria Cole. Welcome to a new week and another great episode. That's right. We've been talking all month about the story of marriage, and today we're going to continue that conversation really digging into God's story for husbands. Mm-hmm. What is the role of a husband? How does that distinguish itself from the role that God gives wives? What have we misunderstood about that role? And really, this speaks to men in general because it talks about the masculinity that God has put inside of us, not just biologically, but spiritually, and the role that we have to protect the women in our lives. But we'll go into more detail about that. Last week, we had an amazing conversation with a couple who had overcome adultery. And God did a miracle in their marriage. If you haven't watched that, I want you to go back and take a listen to that. It should be the one right before this one. And I I know it's going to bless you. and, And really, the main point that they talked about was the importance of confession and transparency between couples Mm -hmm. and how it's the little secrets that lead to big explosions in a relationship. So I love what they said. It's the little compromises along the way that Mm. led them to the path that they walked in. And um, maybe you're listening and you're struggling and you don't know where to start. I I love their testimony because they talked about starting afresh and anew with the same person. And oftentimes we think there's not a possible way to start something new with a person that you already are so familiar with and Mm. maybe been disappointed by but they um break down a lot of good principles not only in the episode but there's a book that is available for you to purchase to read with your spouse if you are in that place as well yes well before we jump into our first segment of the day we want to encourage you to be a part of a community of married couples it's called the intentional marriage community And it's exclusive opportunity for you to go behind the scenes with Victoria and I and get mentored uh, on a closer level. Mm -hmm. And so if you become a partner with our ministry of any amount, $5 or more, then you get to jump into this group and get monthly private group sessions. You get weekly devotionals. You get monthly date ideas. We're getting ready to drop one in just a couple of days that you're going to want to catch and implement right away. It's very cool. And so much more. You get access to us to ask questions in ways that you wouldn't just by listening to this podcast. So if you want to be a part of that, go to moremostforever.com right now and click that intentional marriage banner, become a partner of any amount and join this intentional marriage group today. Yeah. You know, I just think about all the subscriptions that we all have and they don't add a lot of value to our life. Maybe they solve one problem. Maybe you're on a shave club, you know, you're receiving those blades or maybe you're watching Netflix or whatever. But this is something that not only are you receiving something for yourself, you're investing in your marriage, but you're also helping us to spread the word and reach to couples that may not be able to afford counseling or just may need some extra help. And this is what we're here to do. We're here to create the resources in order to help you to walk along this journey of marriage. So this is a a great investment. This is good ground, good soil, and um, you can be assured that we're going to utilize these resources to the best of our abilities as God gives us guidance and direction. Yeah, there's so much vision. Actually, if you go to moremostforever.com, you can click and and watch a video about the vision that we have for our ministry training center. 
And it has been brewing for a while, so we didn't share it right away. This has been something that God has put on our hearts for years, and we had to sit with it and kind of learn along this journey what God wants us to do and kind of makes it clearer and clearer. So I love that on this uh, intentional marriage group, we are now breaking down the marriage with a mission workbook that we created and helping you guys to dream together and learning to ask those hard questions. And the good thing is that you don't have to come up with those questions. Those are already in the book. And when you join this group, you'll get that book to start this journey with us as well. So be sure to go to mormosforever.com and sign up for this intentional marriage group. We would love to see you guys there. That's exciting. We will hope to see you there. Before we jump into the main message, we have our marriage strategy of the week. What do you have, Victoria? So this week's strategy of the week is kind of like a reminder to uh, seek help early. I actually read statistics that on average, couples wait six years before getting help for marital issues. And that means that the average couple lives with dissatisfaction for a very long time. So if you feel like your marriage is in trouble and it's not something that you guys are able to come to a resolution uh, by coming together. We offer this mediation. We allow, we offer it virtually or in person if maybe you're not here locally, but it's, it's so important to have those mentors. So us providing for you this intentional marriage group is one way for you to be more accountable or address issues that you may be dealing with. But another way is to come close and get some instruction and guidance and wisdom on how to overcome something that has been lingering for years and years and years. And so my encouragement for you as a strategy of the week is to seek help early and make sure that you're doing so by going to reliable sources. Don't just go to your girlfriends or guy friends to vent, uh, but making sure that you and your spouse are on the same page, reaching out to somebody that may, may have walked through this process and can offer you wisdom and guidance to overcome those challenges. Yeah, I think that's the worst thing you could do is vent to people, especially who do not have the capacity to help you with the challenges that you're walking through. Maybe you're venting to single friends or people who have a bad marriage themselves. No, go seek out, whether in your church or even in your family, people who you respect, married couples who have shown fruit of a good marriage. And it doesn't have to be when your marriage has reached the the nuclear place, right? Where all hell has broken loose and now the worst possible scenarios are just right in front of you. Right when you feel like you're hitting a roadblock or a season has shifted in your life and you're trying to reconnect with your spouse, go and seek and ask questions. You don't even have to disclose everything that you're going through to get the answers that you need. Just go and say, can we have dinner with you guys? We would love to ask you some questions about your marriage and and see how we could grow as well. Those little simple things and doing that early are going to help you safeguard against potential nuclear explosions in your marriage down the road. Yeah, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to unravel the issues that have been building up up to this point. So the earlier you seek it, the better the resolution and the better satisfaction that you're going to have in your marriage. So that was our marriage strategy of the week. Seek help early. Well, moving into our main topic, we're talking about the story of marriage. How can you begin to write a story without identifying the main characters? And in this case, the story of marriage has three main characters. It's God, obviously, the Holy Spirit at work in your relationship. But then it's the husband and the wife. 
And it's learning how to collaborate with one another and not compete. And in order to do that, you have to understand what role you've been called to play and let go of some of the traditional mindsets that you may have been passed by your family or culture or the media or wherever we've gotten these perspectives about marriage and what a man's role should be and what a woman's role should be. We have to abandon those and look to the Bible. Number one, what are the biblical roles that God has outlined? Number two, how do those biblical roles parallel with what our biology tells us? It's written in our DNA, in our hormones, in in our physical ability to, for a woman, nurture and give birth to a child, for a man to deposit seed. It's all written in your DNA, these parallels between your biological role and your biblical role. Then you say, what are these historical roles that were thrust on us out of necessity that now, because of modern times, modern conveniences, are no longer relevant for marriage, especially when they are the source of so much frustration for so many couples because it's what my father taught me or what his father taught him. And it's just this generational what at one time may have been a measure of wisdom, but now is becoming a stronghold in the relationship, preventing you from having the kind of marriage that is collaborative, that truly reflects the glory of God. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What, what do you hear from that? Well, I I think like you said, a lot of times we believe this is the role of a husband or a role of a wife, but it's important to go back to the scriptures, what God has called us to be, you know, as a man and as a woman, what are distinct roles and then also our spiritual roles. And oftentimes we get it skewed or get it wrong because we are not seeking God. We're just trying to like be the right person or mm. we follow that curse that God was talking about to Adam and Eve about how, you know, you're going to try to dominate over your wife and your wife is going to want to dominate over you. And that's kind of what we're seeing with a lot of couples that we are currently like counseling with. There's just this pool like, well, what about you? You didn't live up to the end of your bargain. You know, well, what about you? So it's so important for us to have this presence driven life because it's in the presence of God that he reveals to us our true nature, our true calling, who we're called to be, and then also bring correction because Holy Spirit really does guide us and lead us into the truth, but he does it in such a way where it's like a gentle push. It's not like a a man that confronts and it hurts and it's painful, but God really knows how to address those issues and pinpoint maybe some things that you have been taught for years and years and years, but has been bringing you a lot of issues in your relationships that you have come across with. And you're not understanding why or how come you are walking in dysfunction and how come you cannot have these good relationships. And so this is why I think it's so important what we're doing, what we're discussing is these roles and what does the Bible say, not what does Ryan and Victoria say a husband and a wife should be and how they should behave, but what does the scripture say more importantly? So what is the origin story of the husband? Victoria tapped on that just a little bit in saying that you have to have a presence-driven marriage because when the wife woke up to her husband, where were they? They were in the middle of a garden, the presence of the Lord. They were on assignment, and she woke up to a man at work. And what was that work? The work 
was the work of a gardener. And this is the clear illustration of the origin story of a husband that I tell to every man. I say, your role as a husband is that of a gardener. And it's not that she didn't also uh, tend to some of the plant life and, and all of that. She was his helpmate for sure. And that's where there are commonalities between the role of a husband and the role of a wife. But there are slight nuances that differentiate that. The role of a husband as a gardener is to cultivate, whereas the role of a wife is to nurture. And the Mm -hmm. slight distinguishing differences there is that the authority that a man has to, to cut and prune in such a productive way that he is bringing out the potential of those under his stewardship. And so as a husband, your role is to identify the potential inside of your wife and give her space to be able to exercise her gifts and to be able to maximize her potential, to empower her to follow Christ as you are leading by example. And so where did this idea of a husband as a gardener come from? Well, it's obvious in the role of Adam in the Garden of Eden, but also we see it in John chapter 15. This word, husband and gardener, are interchangeable. When Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and my word abide in you, then you can ask whatever you will and it will be done by my Father in heaven. And then he proceeds to say, my father is the, instead of saying gardener, he says, husbandman. And he starts talking about pruning and, you know, even the good branches are pruned so that we can bear more fruit. So we have the responsibility, husbands, in our homes with cultivating, not destroying or tearing down our wives and children, but to challenge them by leading with a godly example. And I love the example of pruning because, you know, I do some gardening and I still have a lot to learn. But what I've learned is that cutting specific branches that actually encourages the branch to split, which means that your harvest will even be greater this year if you are pruning specific plants. Of course, you know, it depends on the season. It depends on the time. And that's why as a gardener, you have to be very sensitive to that. And I think that's such a powerful analogy because you need all of those three elements to come into play, meaning the husband as a gardener who's the cultivator. I say the wife is like the soil. She is ready to receive the seed. And then the Bible, it talks about he gives seed to the sower. So the husband is not the one who is providing the seed. It's God himself who mm. provides the seed. And the soil nurtures And the that soil seed. nurtures. Yeah. But then when you're in the presence of God, it's that environment you know, the gardener is not control, and really in the control of the environment. There's oftentimes, you know, we have rain, we have snow, but it's very important for the gardener to be aware of what the seasons are. Yeah. What's going to grow? What's going to go into the soil? Maybe it's not season for this seed, but maybe in the next season we can plant this. Or maybe I have to protect these plants by covering them overnight because I'm seeing the forecast coming. And that's what the husband is. He is the covering. So he foresees things that are happening. And he is protecting the seed so that the the seed can take root and it can pr- produce fruit and fruit that remains. Or even providing stability. The number one need of a woman is security, not just physical security, but feeling that confidence that her husband is a quality leader and he has a plan. And just like there are certain plants that start to struggle and bend over and you take little sticks and you wrap 
you know, twine mm-hmm. around there and you give them support and stability until they grow strong enough to bear the weight of those uh, of their limbs themselves. And the thing about it is if Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, if God is the gardener, that means when he's pruning that vine, he's pruning himself. He, he is feeling the pain of that cutting. And for husbands, as gardeners, you are both the vine and you are the gardener. gardener. So you are, while you're disciplining your family, that discipline first, that blade first goes to yourself Mm, and say, if I'm going to expect them to live to this standard, then I've got to live up to it myself. The Bible says that the husbands are the head of the household. That means you go first. You are going to take the blunt force of all of the decisions that you're making as a household. Not that your wife does not have a voice. She has an important, weighty voice, an opinion, a perspective that you need to take into account. But ultimately, you're going to go and make those pivotal decisions on behalf of both of you. You go and represent both of your opinions, perspectives, and that both of you have sought the Lord about whatever you're making decisions about. I, I've pondered on this idea for years because also if Jesus is the groom and the body of Christ is the bride of Christ, then throughout the gospels, you see this parallel as well. So Christ takes on this husband role. And then of course, in, in the book of Ephesians chapter five, it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What we see, very interesting, is number one, Jesus is buried in a garden tomb. Mm. And it was like, I, when I die, I'm going back to the garden. Because what the ultimate goal of the cross was, was to get us back to that alignment in the garden where we were living in the realm of dominion, uninhibited by sin. And it was interesting, the first woman that came uh, to visit the grave, Mary, And she came into the tomb and saw that it was empty. And then she heard a voice behind her. And the Bible says that she assumed that it was the gardener. Mm. And then he spoke her name, Mary. And then she knew who it was, Master, Rabbi. She called back to him. I think it was a prophetic illustration of that role between Christ as the husband and what that Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but that particular Mary, who she represented in that moment, which was the church, who would now see Christ as the gardener, taking us back to the place of God's presence where we would abide at all times. He was leading them back to that Garden of Eden lifestyle. And that's the role of a husband, that of a gardener, that of a cultivator, that who lays down his life for his wife. You know, I was mulling about this idea and I did a little research. Has anybody ever talked about this before or is this kind of something new? And there is a man by the name of Dr. Raymond Force who talks about the husband as a gardener. And he says the husband has three choices as a gardener. The husband can choose in frustration if he feels like his marriage isn't working to change gardens and leave his spouse. This is the unbiblical choice to make. And what most people fail to realize, you know, the grass is greener on the the other side, side, that perspective. But the truth is, is the grass is greener where you You water water it, it, where you've made the investment. So even if you run from the garden that you currently have and you jump into another one, 
the principles remain true. They're timeless. Whether you're here or there, you're going to have to confront who you are as a man at some point and grow up and mature in the things of the Lord and bite down on this assignment that God has given you as a husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then it says, wash her with the water of the word so that you may present her to yourself. A lot of times we think if I'm cultivating, I'm going to present my wife back to God. No, your wife is the greatest gift that God has given you apart from salvation. This this woman is your greatest asset, the greatest treasure. It says when a, a man finds a wife, he finds favor from the Lord. God activates the power of multiplication because what you give her, she incubates and gives back to you in multiplied fashion. So you've got to take that role seriously. But in looking at that scripture, washing your wife, cultivating her with the word, that's your, that's your tools. That is your shovel and that is your rake, the, the word of God. Wash her so you can present her to yourself. That tells me the wife you have is the wife you've cultivated. Mm. As a gardener, the wife you have is the wife you've cultivated. The garden you have, the fruit that is being uh, bore in your marriage is that which you have cultivated. And so Dr. Raymond Force says you can choose to leave that garden, but you're going to be confronted with that same assignment in whatever garden that you end up. The second choice that you make as a gardener, the husband can keep his garden and grow bitter about the weeds. But like Victoria said, you have to know the season that you're in and mm -hmm. that every seasonal change when, when life happens, when you have kids, your kids grow up, you experience loss, you change careers, you moved to a different city. When you experience grief, betrayal, rejection, you grow through it all. But in that growth, there's also weeds that crop up. And if you don't deal with the weeds, they can become as ferocious as full-grown trees. We've done renovations in houses before, and Victoria has gotten out there, and I've gotten out there with her, but of course she's the, she loves the gardening stuff. She gets out there, and the roots are so deep. This might as well be a, a, a full-grown tree, mm -hmm. and it's so difficult. But if you would have addressed it in the beginning, whoever that homeowner was, it would have never gotten that difficult and become felt what felt like an insurmountable task to dig and uproot. It's not just chopping it off at the head, but digging down into those roots. That's why you've got to be aware of the weeds that are growing. The yeah. third choice that you have and the choice that I hope that you make listening to today's podcast is you as a husband can start doing what it takes to prevent the weeds from growing in your garden to begin with. That means recognizing in those shifts of seasons, like that my wife is going to need extra support, that our family is going to have to be even more prayerful, that I might have to fast along with praying, that we're going to have to stay rooted in the word of God. And I'm going to have to put my head down and do the tough work that a man has to do to make it happen. Yeah, you know, like in order for you to wash her with the water of the word, you have to know the word. And oftentimes men are, are not in the presence of God. They don't know what does it mean to love somebody like Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. And you have to be continuously diving into the scriptures to understand how how God has laid his own life. And even at the cross, when 
those same people that he has healed and done miracles were doing harm to him. And he was saying, God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And there are times in your marriage that you may experience that. And it, it may feel unfair. You know, it, it may feel unjust what you're experiencing. But like the scripture says, Christ is the head and he went first. He went and died on the cross for our sins, for our transgressions, for the, the, for the present and the future. And so that's a big responsibility for a husband. Oftentimes we think because God has given us this authority and this power that we could just like rule with a closed fist and what I say goes, but that's not how Christ is. And so you have to study the scriptures to really understand what he has done for us as the church, because you are the church as well. Like Ryan said, you're not just the gardener, you're also the, the vine. But you have to take that responsibility if you are married or if you're thinking about stepping into marriage, that it's a great responsibility. I saw a little quote that said, with great power comes great responsibility. We often want the power. Superman. Yeah, we want the power, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with it. Or maybe that was yeah. Spider-Man. I don't know who says that, but I just saw the quote. <laughs> it's a superhero it nice. <laughs> quote for sure. And the thing about it is, I mean, John Bevere has an excellent book called Killing Kryptonite. Every man has to confront that kryptonite that he's struggling with, whatever that thorn in your flesh is. And I know this message is tough to hear. And trust me, come back next week. We're going to be just as... Um, tough on the woman, on the yes, wives. we are, because <laughs> wives have just as much responsibility in the relationship. But I can tell you this, where the husband goes, the family follows. And no matter if the wife is doing everything in her power to maintain this spiritual fervor in her household, it's not going to break through unless that husband cooperates. God's going to honor her and open up a portal of blessing over her. But the measure of blessing that he wants to pour out on your family, it's contingent upon you as a male figurehead laying your life on the altar. I know we're speaking in a mysterious language, but let's get a little bit practical. We've said a lot of these things, but let's go over them. There are six different mandates that are upon husbands. The first one we've mentioned from Ephesians chapter 5, love your wife like Christ. Now, this verse becomes the cornerstone of our calling to love our wives by putting their needs above our own. This kind of love requires us to lay down our lives just as Christ did for us. And we have to strive on a daily basis to put aside our selfishness and to love our wives unconditionally, to love them with a godly kind of love. The second one is to be the spiritual leader of your home. It says, 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. As the spiritual leader of your home, you have to both pray for your wife, initiate Bible study, but also honor them, putting them above every other woman. This requires a deep understanding of your wife and what she's going through, even the monthly fluctuations in her body and in her hormones, to give you uh, an understanding of how to live peacefully and considerately with her. So that in those frustrations that you have, because you're not bearing with her in love, that your spiritual growth is hindered. All the prayers that you pray, you could spend an hour in prayer every single morning. But if you don't wake up 
and allow and have allowed those prayers to transform your heart and your posture toward your spouse, you're not going to grow in the things of God. The real proof is in you waking up every single day and making the decision to live with your wife with understanding. Number three, cast a vision for your family. The Bible talks about a man who does not provide for his wife is worse than an infidel. Like he's Mm. the scum of the earth. Most men go straight to their work, making sure they bring home a paycheck for their wives. Well, what if your wife makes more than you? I don't think that that physical or financial provision is the crux of that word provision. I think Mm -hmm. it means to provide your wife with vision, to provide your family, your children with an inspiring vision that they can be a part of. This is not a solo mission for you to go out and make sure you bring in enough money to make your wife and kids happy. No, it's being present. It's Mm -hmm. being inspirational. It's providing them direction and guidance and a clear pathway for where you're taking them every single year. Anything you want to add, Victoria? Yeah, you know, discipleship making process, as we often say, starts at home and your kids are watching and your spouse is watching. And again, it's important for you to be in the presence of God to receive the downloads from heaven and you receiving that vision. You know, it may not be clear right away. It may be like a glimpse of it. And we can say the same thing for our lives. You know, God has put something small in our lives and we said, okay, we'll take a step of faith and we'll do this. And then God starts expanding our vision and kind of opening up our eyes to see it more clearly. And again, it does start with the husband providing that vision. And it may not be clear all the way, but this is why you have a partner to talk those things through and saying, I'm receiving the word of God for our year. Let's say, you know, a specific scripture. What do you think it means for our lives? What do you think that means? Because a wife is a prophetic voice and she's able to sometimes give you direction and guidance as well, you know, and you have to be humble too to listen and to be attuned to what your wife is telling you because she's also very sensitive to what's going on in your household and with your children or maybe even about you. Maybe you're so stuck in doing your job that you've forgotten your kids, you've forgotten to be intentional about your marriage and there's this disconnection and she is that voice of reason that says, hey, we need to roll it back in. I appreciate the provision physically, but I need some emotional support. I need some mental support. I need yeah. some uh, help with parenting. You know, it it takes it, it. It's a lot of work. But I think if you're submitted to God's way and will, he will give you guidance and instruction and that vision for your family. But not only that, he has given you a partner. This is a blessing from the Lord. And she is able to give you that guidance as well. Number four, live a life of integrity and honor. In 1 Peter Peter chapter 3, where we see this instructions to husbands and wives and the one about, you know, honoring your wife so that your prayers are not hindered, it then says in verse 16, keep your conscience clear. For some people have unconsciously suffered shipwreck with respect to their faith. You know, when it comes to integrity, it means to be fully integrated. So your internal dialogue matches your outward behavior. Most men, especially because we're work-focused, are more concerned about our reputation than actual integrity. And there are two different things, right? Your reputation is your ability to not lie to everyone else. That means maybe you can show up and do the job and keep your keep your word to a certain degree, right? But they don't know what's happening behind the scenes. 
If you can keep the secrets under wrap, you can maintain a certain reputation to the world. That's what a lot of pastors or leaders do, right? Everybody thinks that they are holier than thou. Mm -hmm. And then you ask their wife, their wife either says nothing, or if their wife has become bitter enough, they will let all the skeletons out of the closet. And then the world is shocked when we find out that this person is not who we believe for them to be. That, that's because they put all their energy on their reputation and none of their energy on having integrity. Integrity is not lying to yourself. Yeah, It's being honest and saying, no, these are the struggles that I'm enduring. And then allowing that honesty to move outward into your inner relationships and then putting people in your life that will keep you accountable to living a life that is above reproach. That's what we are called to do as husbands, to discipline our flesh, watch our eye gate, watch our ear gate, recognize those stumbling blocks, whether it be social media. This is for me, right? When I sense that I'm spiraling into a place where I'm not living above reproach, I know where those triggers are and I start closing the doors to them one-on-one, limiting my time on social media, limiting my time on YouTube or whatever, because those algorithms online are set up to push you to the most extreme versions of yourself. So it could be a great benefit to you in one sense, but also if you start unraveling a thread, one innocent video or image could spiral into something that you never intended, right? And that could start with looking at things that you shouldn't, and it could spiral into even having conversations with people and moving outside of your marriage. As we learned last week, it's those little foxes that destroy the vine. So you have to live with integrity and honor. Mm-hmm. Number five, nurture your marriage with intimacy and affection. It says Ephesians 5.28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That means loving her in the type of way that she needs to be loved with understanding, listening, not always trying to give her solutions, but just saying, I understand and actually doing the work to try and comprehend what it is she's telling you instead of inserting your own opinion and trying to bring solutions when maybe she's not looking for a solution. She's looking for someone to care and console her, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, you've got to ultimately pick yourself up and challenge your spouse and challenge your children towards, you know, strategies that bring about solutions. But first you've got to show a bit of care and concern. And then they're going to be on your team to put those things into actions because they, they trust you. They respect you. They know that you're present, right? Yeah, for sure. Number six, and, and this is the last one, but probably the most important, crucify your flesh daily. First Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says, I beat my body and make it a slave so that when I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You be, you're the head of the household. That means you go first. You discipline yourself first. You apply the blade to you first and then to your family. Of course, you're a man of discipline. That means you give discipline too. But that discipline goes a long way when you're not just saying, do as I tell you, not as I do, which is what a lot of men or and really parents in general, they do with their children. Like they tell their kids one thing and then they don't have the, the same discipline. And then you're disqualified from the very thing that you're preaching to your family. 
So these are the six things that husbands are challenged to do. Anything you want to add to close out this little part yeah, of the... Yeah, on that sixth one, you know, crucifying your flesh, and that's something wives are going to have to learn too. We're going to talk about that next week. But I was thinking about the scripture that's in Second Corinthians 4.17 that says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So whatever you're experiencing right now, you know, dying to yourself, it may seem unfair, it may seem painful. But we can look to the cross and see what God has done for us. And we can say, whatever's on the other side is is God's blessings and promises. And through this process, God is going to cultivate us so that his uh, word can work in us, but also through us. And first and foremost, we talk about how your family is your first ministry, ministering to your wife, ministering to your children and being that example so that you could lead just like Christ is leading you right now. I want to speak directly to you husbands who are listening right now. You may have never had a voice like mine to come and tell you that you are fully capable. You are fully loaded with everything you need to fulfill this assignment as a husband and a father. I know it feels like you're bearing the weight of the world on your shoulders. And men so oftentimes are overlooked in society, in families. While we are struggling, while we are in pain, who's there to bear with us? We have to bear with one another. As a fellow husband and and a fellow brother, I'm bearing with you. And not only that, we have the, the greatest helper, which is the Holy Spirit, that if you will not lean on your own strength, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. If you will lean on the Spirit of God, you will be able to rise to this challenge and become the husband that your wife needs, the father that your children needs, and become a vessel for the power of God, the dunamis, dynamite power of God to be released in the earth. But first, you have to come under authority. There's two words for power in the Bible, exousia, which is the right, and then there's dunamis, which is the might. Before you try to put your foot down in your household, come under authority. Your ability to exert strength physically or with the raising of your voice is not as important as you having the authority, the real weight that God provides. You can struggle all day long with who is in control in that relationship. But you will truly not experience the power of God released through you as a husband and a leader in your home until you submit to the authority of God. You need authority in as much as you need power. But you can walk in the kind of power that you're wrestling and struggling and striving to walk in if you submit to the authority and the leadership of Jesus over your life. Be encouraged. You have what it takes. You are well able to take on this challenge and rise as the husband that your wife needs. Yes, for sure. This was a needed conversation, and we thank you guys for tuning in to that. But we're going to step into the next segment of this episode, and that is our question of the week. And this week's question is, this year we are really working on having a budget for our family, but we don't really know where to start. How do we create a budget for our family that we can actually stick to throughout the year? Yeah, uh, we did a series last year on finances kind of towards the end of the year. I would encourage you to go check that out because there's so much 
wisdom there. I think before you can set a budget, you have to begin to confront sort of the lies that you believed about money. And most people look at that word budget as a means of restricting flow. Or so you're creating parameters to withhold and and you're grasping to hold on to what's left at the end of every month, this little bit this of disposable income. And then uh, we think the more we restrain, the more we'll be able to, to lay up for us when that's not the case at all. True budgeting in the kingdom has everything to do with faith. And you're preparing yourself to live in a different realm than you are living right now. So it's about not restricting yourself, but enlarging your capacity for more. That means you've got to write a vision for your life and then say, what are the resources necessary to fulfill that vision? And then you've got to budget based on your future and not just your present. Yes, there's practical things. You've got to look at the money coming in and the money going out, right? But it's not just about building up a massive savings account. It's about making sure that you're investing every month in as much as you're consuming. Look at those areas where you're over-consuming luxury goods, eating out, those sorts of things. Maybe you can rework that kind of money, eat at home, take whatever you have left, don't just save it. How can we invest it, right? Because the vision that we have is going to require this amount of resources. We need to prepare for that budget, not with restricting what we have, thinking that that's going to produce wealth. I know that sounds complicated. You get what I'm saying, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, starting with a budget is just sitting down first and foremost together and coming into agreement. We know so many couples that are like, this is like our least favorite thing. We can't come to an agreement. We don't even want to sit down. So one of us is doing it. The other one is completely oblivious to what is happening in the household. And that's not how marriages should function, especially if you're trying to, you know, get out of debt or be very strategic with what you're doing, as it sounds like you are. It's very important for you to sit down and say, this is our monthly bills. This is the money that we need to invest in, maybe a business adventure that we have. And then making sure that you're also tithing, because I know for us, tithing has been a big part of God's blessing upon our lives. It's not really by our paycheck that we were able to accomplish the things that we have accomplished. It's really by the grace of God. We would look back and how we stepped out in, uh, in faith, you know, even like a few years ago. We didn't know how all of this is going to happen, but God opened doors and opportunities, gave us business ideas, ways to make multiple streams of revenue. And when you trust God in the process and you give what is God's and you're also sitting down and writing that budget together and coming into agreement, that's when you're going to start seeing the change. It's not something like drastic that you have to do. It's a matter of sitting down And, you know, laying out what's before you, what are some of the things you need to tackle and then praying over your money, praying and saying, God, we want to be good stewards of this money. And first and foremost, saying it by giving a portion, which is 10 percent to, you know, the local church that you go to or maybe a ministry that you're being fed from. I know this is good ground, too, you know, if you wanted to become a partner of Empowered Culture Ministries. But regardless, I mean, that's how we have seen God's provision for our lives and how he has multiplied year after year because of those little principles that we have applied for ourselves. So let's put both of what we said together. Okay. 
So good budgeting starts with awareness. Yeah. Before you start trying to put line items out, let's look at your financial diary over the last 30 days. You know, how much are you spending in what areas? Most of the time, awareness will be the Kickstarter that you need to start being more disciplined. And then don't think about restriction when it comes to budgeting. This is what I was talking about. Think about redirection. What areas are you over-consuming and how can you redirect some of those resources towards investing? And those investments can then open up new streams of revenue into your household. And then finally, as you're laying out the bills that you have and, and what you're thinking that you need every single month, also consider what the resources are that you need to fulfill your vision, your future vision, your big dreams. If you don't know what it's going to cost, you don't know the, the, the price that you're going to have to pay to get there, the discipline that you're going to have to invoke upon yourself and your relationship. But it's not about restraining or withholding. You can have just as productive of a month with the same resources by redirecting some of them towards investment. Most of the time, people are going out to eat because it's communal. You're hanging out with friends. You're doing this and that. But you can do the very same thing at home. I think it's, in a lot of cases, better when we bring friends over to our house and we're not worried about the waiter coming around and interrupting the conversation or and then we're able to serve, right? Yeah. And make a meal for our friends and family that goes a long way. And those conversations become more productive, more intimate. We're not rushed. So just consider all of that. And I believe that if you do, then that will be the answer to your question. Yeah, that was a good answer. Hopefully you got all of that. And we know that you have enjoyed this conversation. But if you have been listening for a while, uh, give us a review, give us a rating that really helps us to spread the word. If you know somebody that may be struggling in their marriage or a relationship, send them a link to this specific episode. We would be very appreciative of you sharing this word. It's free. It's absolutely free. So, you know, there are other podcasts that don't go as deep as we do, right? Mm -hmm. They're very short and it's not to criticize them. They're on their particular assignment. But there have been times where like we've talked to people and it's like what we give in some of these episodes is so much mm -hmm. and it feels like you're at a buffet and you might have to listen to this over and over again. We're not we're not going to stop that. This is yeah. who we are, right? We want to give you the meat of the word. We don't want to just give you surface level principles. And because of that, it takes a lot more time, mm -hmm. energy, studying. We could just get up here and wing it. But now we've got to have weekly meetings like pre pre-game meetings with Victoria yeah. and Isla where we're laying out what we want to share because we don't want to offer you something that's half-hearted we want to give you our best and in return we hope that you'll give us your commitment your commitment to share this podcast your commitment in partnering with us so that we can reach more people and yeah that's all we're asking go to moremostforever.com Engage in those resources, but also become a partner. Join our intentional marriage community. If you're married, reach out to us. Let us know how we can pray for you. Text us. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at More Must Forever. The texting information is always on the screen and in the descriptions and stuff. So we are accessible. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah much needed conversation. That's right. And we will see you guys next week.